lots of stuff that we're actually in, not in the middle of. We're, we're kind of ending, ending it today. It's kind of an abbreviated series, to be honest. You know, three weeks is not really that abbreviated. But, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about with family, right? I mean, there's so many different aspects. So in week one, we talked about the marriage relationship and, and love and, and the difference between cultural love and covenant love. Um, and how, you know, we see a, a world around us that is really focused on cultural love and, and not covenant love, but the Bible leads us and, and tells us that we're supposed to live in covenant love with one another. Last week, we talked about uh, raising children and, and um, the, two, uh, the two things that all kids need. They need love and limits, so they need to know that they are loved uh, no matter what they do or, or where they go or what happens, no matter, you know, what kind, you know that they are always going to be loved. And they also need limits. Um, they need to know that there are limits in this world. They need to know that you can't just do, you know, I think I was qu- quoting some psychologist that says that, that kids, uh, when they are born, they, they, they have two questions that need to be emphatically answered by parents and one, the first one is, am I loved? And the second one, can I get what I want? <clears throat> so, um, um, right? So the real world, in the real world, whether you are raised right or not, you will find out quickly that you can't always get what you want, right? It's just, it's just the way it goes. So unfortunately, we have a lot of kids that are being raised where we give them whatever they want whenever they want as long as they, you know, if they cry hard enough or they throw a big enough temper tantrum or whatever that we will eventually buckle and give into it. All right, so uh, love and limits is important. I will tell you this, that, um, that if you missed last week, it's really unfortunate because uh, we had some technical difficulty and did not get the service recorded. So that's in the wind now. <clears throat> Just, it's gone. So um, you can have my notes, though, if you really want it. So, all right, um, and, and family is kind of one of those things that's um, it's kind of really you know difficult to talk about because there's so many different variations of family, right? Um, there are uh, your traditional family. There's uh, single. There's single divorce. There's married. There's kids. There's no kids. There's someone else's kids. There's foster kids, adopted kids, and mixed families, remarriages, uh, remarried people that have other kids from other. So. <laughs> You know, um, there's so many different variations when we talk about family and and, and what those things kind of look like. Um, but um, there are two things about family that we all have in common. Two things about family that we all have in common. Number one is that you can't choose your family. So nobody in here, you never get to choose your family. So you can choose like the relationship you're in. So you can choose your spouse and stuff, so you can make that choice, but you don't, you don't get the choice of who your parents are, you don't get the choice of who your siblings are, or any of those kinds of things, and if you're in like a, uh, a mixed marriage relationship, where there's kids coming from multiple relationships, you don't even get to choose those, you know, somebody else kind of chooses those for you, so uh, we, you don't get to choose your family, and the second thing is, no one you are related to is as smart as you are, isn't that the truth, right, <clears throat> I mean, it's just the truth. All right? No one you are related to is as smart as you are. Um, and I know I feel that way sometimes, too. Now, it probably is uh, greatly determined by what we're talking about. So my brother is, um, is a pharmacist, so I will concede the fact that he knows more about 
uh, pharmaceutical stuff than I do. All right, so, um, but for the most part, you know, this is how we all feel about everybody in our family. Um, and even sometimes as it relates to our spouses as well, nobody is as smart as you are. <clears throat> and the interesting thing is about family, and I know I've even talked about this before, I find it really, really interesting, you know, because the Bible, for example, the Bible is, is, a, um, is kind of like our go-to pillar of all things spiritual and right and holy and right and all this kind of stuff. But have you ever noticed in the Bible that you never see any really great examples of families? I mean, <clears throat> look all throughout the Bible. And it's not that they're not there, because um, they probably are, but we would have to assume that they are, because all the ones that are talked about are some really dysfunctional families. Um, it, it just is. And even as it relates to, like, marriage, for example, so there's really, I mean, Paul talks about marriage and the marriage institute and all that kind of stuff, but there's not any really great example I mean, and, and maybe the Song of Solomon, you know, if you want to get into that, talks about love and, you know, the intimate relationship in the marriage stuff. But there's not any great examples. There's not a great, any great examples of family. So if we, we were to go through, you know, um, um, you know, Adam and Eve, for example, we see the worst of humanity coming out, um, you know, inside of their relationship. I mean, they, uh, one of them decided to do the wrong thing, and so then they blame the other person. Right? You ever been there before? Yeah. All right. And then, um, obviously, um, Adam chooses uh, Eve over God's word. And then you have uh, Cain kills his brother Abel. So you already find the, the very first family that ever existed. There's murder in the family. <clears throat> it's not a very good example, by the way. All right. <clears throat> um, you know, there's, you know, blaming and, and issues going on there. Um, Abraham had issues as well, you know, because he decided that he didn't want to wait for God to, to bring about the promise. So he was going to bring in a servant, uh, Lady uh, Hagar. And, and so he has a son with a, you know, he has, he has relationships with uh, a servant girl uh, in his camp, which, by the way, Sarah was okay with. Um, and, and she has a son. So... Um, you know, she has a son outside of marriage, and it becomes his, his son, and, you know, that's Ishmael. And then Sarah has Isaac, and then Isaac has problems with Hagar, and so Abraham has to send Hagar and Ishmael off into the wilderness by themselves. And like, hey, y'all just got to go, okay? Sarah and Isaac can't have y'all no more. Y'all got to get out of here, all right? He's, he's, he, sends, he has no idea what's going to happen to them. He just kind of sends them off in the middle of nowhere, um, Isaac and Rebecca, uh, with two twin boys, uh, have um, uh, who hate each other and are totally opposites. You remember Isaac and you know um, Jacob and, and Esau and the, and the whole the birthright fight, and and one of them is is more manly and the other one's more like cooking and all that kind of stuff. And they have this this you know constant thing. Um, and even the parents you see in the relationship that Sarah picks one and Isaac picks one and they have they both have like their favorite son in the family this is great great family uh <clears throat> dynamics going on here uh so you know Jacob eventually runs away from Esau because Esau wants to kill him um he goes and works 20 years for his uncle so Jacob runs and goes and works 20 years for his uncle 
and he works 20 years uh, for his uncle because he sees this girl, one of his daughters, he wants to marry, I guess, one of his cousins, right? So, we're in Alabama, I'm just kidding, Mississippi, <laughs> Mississippi, economics here, all right. So, he sees one of his cousins, he wants to marry her, so he works for 20 years to marry her, only for his uncle to give him the other cousin, and he didn't know it until the wedding night. I don't know how that happens, but it just happens. So then he has to work another 10 years or something to get the right cousin. Somehow he, now he's got two cousins that he's married. Um, so um, he comes back to family. And uh, so Jacob, right, he comes back to fa- fa- family. He has 12 sons of his own. Um, he has 12 sons of his own, right? And we know that the youngest one has a dream. Joseph has a dream that, you know, that all the stalks are going to bow down to him and all the stars are going to come and bow down to him. And he tells his brothers and his brothers get all jealous of him and like, like, oh yeah, well, we're going to kill you now because you're saying that we're going to worship you or we're going to bow down to you. So what happens is Jacob's family, Jacob's sons, all 11 sons gang up against the youngest son and they decide they're going to kill him. And then the last second, they decide to sell him into slavery. (laughs) Lord help us all. Right, David uh, didn't really. I mean, you know, David had problems himself. His own one of his own sons actually tried to usurp his authority and take his his throne from him. Um, you know, and then of course, you know, we know that he, you know he had a child out of wedlock as well with um, Bathsheba, and you know, of course, he had you know. So there's all kinds of different dynamics that are going on here, and and even inside all of David's, there's all kinds of. Uh, incest that happens inside of, da- you know, one of David's sons violates his own uh, sister's, you know, I don't know, they, they do inappropriate things. And, uh, man, it's just, it's a, it's a mess. <laughs> and then really after that, we don't really know much about the prophet's families. Um, you know, you, you talk about Jesus, we know um, even Jesus himself, right? So um, Mary and Joseph... You know, they had their own conflict in the beginning because they thought Mary, you know, had done something wrong and, and got pregnant. And, but, you know, the angels had to come and visit Joseph just to make sure that everything kind of stayed together. And then on top of that, uh, you know, and we talked about this, I think, over Christmas. It's like Mary and Joseph, when, when Jesus was like 14 years old, they, they traveled to Jerusalem. And then on the way back, they lose Jesus for like three days. So there are incredible parents here who somehow managed to lose Joseph for three days. And it was like on the third day, then they finally started to realize like, Hey, like where's Joseph? I mean, where's Jesus at? Um, <laughs> like, you know, we're like 30 minutes. Like, where's that child at? You know, like, you're a bad parent. If you lose your child for like 30 minutes, right? Um, G- you know, Jesus's parents lost him for three days. And, and then of course we don't know much about you know, the disciples, families and stuff. We know that, that some of them had families. We, you know, Peter, you know, we know Peter had a wife and, and some of these other guys, you know, as well. But there's just not a whole lot talked about them. And even Paul, you know, who wrote, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, you know, he doesn't talk a whole lot about his family, you know, if, if he had a family. Uh, I think that a lot of times you, you can get the idea that maybe he wasn't married based upon some things that he said in First Corinthians. Um, you know, about marriage and, um, and you know, kind of, you know, living that kind of life where you're not married and stuff. So there's just not a whole lot there. Um, and so, you know, uh, when, when you talk about family, there's, here's the thing about, about family, you know, that, that whole statement, um, you know, it's, 
always the ones closest to you that hurt you the most, right? Well, the reason is, is because they're close to you, right? So uh, there's always going to be conflict inside of a family relationship. Anytime there, is, um, there, are, there are two people living together, just, and that's all it takes really is just two there's, I mean, you know, unless you have multiple personality disorder, I doubt you living by yourself, there's going to be much conflict, you know. Like, hey, I told you, you know, it's just going back and forth between your personalities. Um, so if you're living with a couple people, then you, you, there, there's, going to be, there's going to be conflict. And it doesn't really matter. Like, I, I remember when I was in master's commission, I lived with about seven other guys in the same house. And guess what? We were a bunch of dudes just hanging out, having fun. And we were, uh, and there was still conflict, right? There were still moments where people, right? So, uh, you know, just because you have a marriage relationship and you join together and said, you know, we're all going to live happily ever after, just understand that's just not going to be happily ever after, all right? That there's just going to be moments that there's going to be conflict, not only in the marriage relationship, there's going to be conflict in, w- amongst, I mean, Lord, if you got two kids, you just know, like, I'm going to, these kids, I'm going to put them out, <clears throat> They keep fighting with each other. I'm putting them out. I'm not dealing with us no more. Y'all, y'all out of here. Right? <clears throat> so you just, you just know that there is gonna, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict between you and the kids, all this kind of stuff, right? And when you, when you win an argument at home, you really don't win anything, <clears throat> right? <laughs> because it, it's not like it makes it better. Like, yeah, I'm right. Yeah. I, it's not like, okay, great, awesome. I, it's so cool that you got it right. I mean, that doesn't happen, right? So... You don't really win any, and, and then there's all different kinds of people in the family, right? You have your screamers, and they, they, they're screaming loud, and they're really quick to let you have it, uh, you know? And then they also, they want to patch it all up when it's over, after it's been over for a while. And then you have, you know, the quiet, passionless people. They're like, you know, they, they give you the silent treatment. I'm just not talking anymore. All right? Uh, they need space. And to kind of work through some of this stuff. I heard a story one time. Um, there was this husband who was kind of a real passionless guy. He just, I mean, he was just a real easygoing, passionless guy, just eh, whatever. His, his wife finally got him to go to some counseling with her to help him get some of the passion back in a relationship. Like, we, we're going to have to kickstart some of this passionless relationship. And they were meeting with a counselor, and after hearing what was going on, um, the, the counselor decided to go do something to try to stir him up. So he gets up out of his seat, and he walks over to the wife, and he leans in, and he kisses her really good. All right? After he kisses her really good, he, he stands up, and he says, There, that's what your wife needs at least twice a week. And he says, Okay, we can bring her in for that twice a week. Uh, that guy right there has got no pulse, right? I mean, he's like, all right. Uh, so there's lots of, you know, lots of things and reasons. And sometimes, you know, we, uh, you know, sometimes we get, you know, to the point where it's like, oh, you know, it's the devil. You know, the devil's making us fight and the devil's making us do this. And, and while I think that there can be sometimes, you know, an issue between, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a spirit of strife that can come and kind of work a wedge between, you know, relationships and stuff. You know, it's not always the devil. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about and really look into this morning. As a matter of fact, um, there, was a, um, there was this guy I heard about one time that ran into the devil one day. And the devil asked him, because he just kind of, 
you know, was like, oh, there's the devil, right? And so the devil asked him, he says, aren't you afraid of me? And he says, no, I'm not scared of you. And the devil says, why are you scared of me? <clears throat> he said, because I'm married to your sister. All right. So, anyways, in James chapter 4, uh, verse 1, it says this. It says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? All right. What is the source of the quarrels and conflicts among you? Is, it not, is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So, the idea is that, um, you know, so that last phrase, if you're kind of having a hard time grasping what, um, <clears throat> what James is saying here, he's saying, is it not the pleasures in you that wage war within you, within your body, within the members of your body, okay, your own desires? And so we as human beings are really good at the blame game. I mean, it's, it's um, it, you know, I would be okay in my life if it wasn't for my wife or my husband or my mom or my kid. Everything in my life would be good if it wasn't for this person or that person, whatever. We are wired in a way because of, um, you know, our sin nature in us. We are wired in a way to see other people's faults instead of our own, right? I heard a, a, a quote one time, and I think this is really good and it's something you really have to watch out for in your life sometimes. All right. We, we judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. All right? We judge other people by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. So we know what our intentions are. And so when we do the wrong thing, we're like, well, I didn't really mean to. All right? But if somebody does the wrong thing to you, you judge them by what they've done, not by what, maybe what they intended to do. And that's something you really have to, you know, look introspectively into your own life and understand that, you know, maybe somebody did something wrong to you. Maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was something they didn't really mean to. I don't know. Maybe you can just give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I don't know. But we're really good at finding faults in everyone else and not ourselves, right? And it's where Jesus kind of comes back around when he's given the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about, you know, stop looking uh, at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank sticking out of your own Right, and because it's natural for us to constantly look at other people and to see their problems and to see their issues, we go to church and we hear sermons and we think, "Man, it'd be really good if so and so was here to listen to this." <clears throat> I got to get them this podcast <clears throat> so that um, they can get some of this too. Right? And it, it's just it's just natural for us to think that way and to and to kind of live our life that way, and so we we blame other people for why we're not happy. You know, we're, we're going through difficulty in our life and we, we say, you know, it's, it's our kids or it's our, my circumstances or it's my husband or my wife or, you know, my, 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 my boss or whatever. And, and, in do, and in blaming other people for why you're not happy in your life, in essence, what you're doing is you are giving that person um, your, the power over your happiness in your life, right? So you are basically establishing that that person has the power to control how happy you can be in your life, right? By assigning the fact that you would be more happy if it wasn't for whatever circumstance it is. So it's either a person or a circumstance in, in your life that has the power over, over the joy. And the Bible says that joy and a believer is supposed to be something that comes as a result of the fruit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. So we're supposed to have joy regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We're supposed to have peace and, and, and obviously one of the side effects of joy is the happiness. You know, temporary happiness oftentimes doesn't mean that we have true joy. It can mean that we're just in a happy moment. 
but, it, it, but, but happiness can be kind of a byproduct of true joy inside the heart as well. Right? <clears throat> but have you ever noticed that, that you don't ever have to train people how to fight? Right? I mean, like, you know, there are a lot of things with my children, you know, and I got four of them. There are a lot of things that we have to train them how to do. Like, hey, this is how you wash dishes. This is how you sweep up the floor. This is how you take out the garbage. This is how you put a new bag in, right? This is how you, you know, you clean up your room. This is how you fold your clothes. This is how you wipe off a countertop. I don't know. There's lots of things that you've got to go through and you've got to train your kids over, right? But one of the things that I never had to train my kids to do was to fight. (laughs) Right? I mean, they just, I mean, it's like you were born with that, That is a gifting that we all have. We were all born with this natural gifting and, uh, to, to fight. Nobody has to train children or, or people how to fight. Um, it, 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 and the reason why it happens is because we don't get what we want. So what we have to do, if there's going to be any training, is that we have to train ourselves to work the exact opposite way. So we have to train ourselves and condition ourselves to work against what comes natural inside of us. And what comes natural inside of us is to fight back, all right? Or to defend ourselves or to, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, make, you know, accusations or, okay? We have to train ourselves to do the exact opposite of what comes, na- of what comes natural in the sinful nature of who we are, all right? So it only comes natural for you to fight for yourself and to get what is fair, all right? And, and so, you know, that word fair, right? <clears throat> um, my, my, my younger son, who's not in here right now, so I can talk about him. But I would talk about him even if he wasn't here. <laughs> it's kind of the, the side effects of being a pastor's offspring. <clears throat> he has this heightened awareness affair, right? And it's been um, more than probably any of my other kids uh, that, that, that talk about this. He is the fair police, right? It, it, it just, it's always, it's, you know, there, there have been times that he has gotten in trouble for things because he was trying to help somebody else out because what they were going through just wasn't fair, all right? So, um, he, and I, I promise it's like um, the vast majority of the time that we have issues with him is because he thinks that what's going on is not fair. And most of it has to do with him, all right? But it's just always about fair. So, you know, we had to have this, you know, have, have you ever noticed in, in raising children that it, it really takes, um, that repetition is the key? And when I say repetition, I'm not talking about four or five times. I'm talking about like, 400, 500 times, right, over and over again, and then one day the light clicks, you're like, oh, thank you, okay, finally, all right, um, I, I think that most of the lights probably don't click until they have their own kids, and they're like, okay, now I get it, I understand, all right, so, but, uh, so, you know, I, I used to tell them all the time, I said, son, stop talking to me about fair, there hadn't been fair in this world since the Garden of Eden, okay, there's nothing in this world that is fair, all right, life ain't supposed to be fair, it ain't about what is fair, all right? If you think life is supposed to be fair, you're living in a fairy tale, 
all right? That's where fear is in a fairy tale. And, light, and fairy tales aren't real life, all right? And, and, and the interesting thing about fear is this, that fear only matters when you don't get what you want. The vast majority of the time, the reason why we cry foul over what is fair is because we're not getting what we want. So most of the time, you know, I don't ever hear any of my kids say, Dad, it's not fair that you're making her do the dishes today. You know, like Peyton comes to me and says, Dad, it's just not fair that you're making Jesslyn do the dishes twice, uh, you know, in a row. And he don't care. She'll be crying fair. This ain't fair. Well, you have somebody else do it. It ain't fair. Right? It ain't fair because you're having to do something you don't want to do and you're not getting what you want. <clears throat> right? And that's how it works for all of us in our life most of the time as well, is that we're crying fair. Most of the time we cry fair is because we're not getting what it is that we want. And so we come out with this, you know, it ain't fair. There ain't no such thing as fair. Right? Remember, so James said, that where do these quarrels and fights come from? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And this desire in us is to get what we want. So our desire spills out to get what we Our desire to get what we want spills out onto other people. And so the primary source of conflict comes from within us because we can't get what we want. The primary source of conflict that comes with us, within us, the source of conflict comes within us because we don't get what we want. We don't get, or I don't get what I want. All right? And, and this is how we kill our relationships. So we see all the times, um, you, know, you see all the time parents who, who try to uh, live out their dreams with their kids. This is a selfish desire on the parents that puts an unhealthy and unrealistic expectation on the kids, and it's always selfishly motivated. Like, it's just something that I want them to do in their life so that I can feel better about myself. Um, And so a big part um, uh, of conflict, a significant part of conflict in our life is this issue that I'm not getting what I want. All right? I'm not getting what I want. And so you you have to understand that. And what what happens is... is, um, if you will, next time you get in an argument or next time you get in a conflict, if you will take a second and think about what's going on, you will recognize the selfish nature that's even happening inside of you. This thing, this conflict, this back and forth, this, this war waging. And sometimes this can have to do with unmet expectations. or un, And we were even talking about this two weeks ago in our relationship series that that, that God, our Father, is supposed to be the source of meeting all of our needs in our life, all right? Um, no, no one person is going to be able to meet all of your needs. It's just not possible, all right, for, a, for a, um, a, a, um, an imperfect person, somebody who is, who's been born with a sinful nature, uh, just like yourself, to meet all of your needs, and so God is supposed to be the source of all of our needs and, and to meet all of our needs. And so when we get into conflict, it's because we're not getting what we want and we expect them to, to give us what we want. And sometimes we could recognize the fact that maybe this need that I have in my life is something that God should be meeting. Um, Andy Stanley, um, you ever heard of Andy Stanley? He's a, he's a pretty recognized preacher probably over the past you know, 30 or 40 years, really. Um, been around for a long time. He, he did this thing called the relationship pot. And uh, 
what he would do is anytime he was uh, having a conversation with, um, you know, a family or maybe it was in a uh, relationship and, and there was conflict, what he would do is he would draw the relationship pie. And what he would do is he would, he would give each of the people in, in the relationship and say, all right, this pie, this circle, let's imagine it's a circle, in this circle, uh, he says, I want you to go up here and I want you to draw the slice of the pie that represents the part of the conflict that belongs to you. In other words, this, this part of the conflict is my fault, right? <clears throat> this, I'm going to draw, <laughs> you know, um, in all his years, he never had one person draw on the circle. Never had one person draw on the circle. And you want to know why? Well, I mean, obviously it's for illustrative purposes, but... Um, it's because of this. He, he says, and he kind of coined this phrase, if you own a slice, you have to be nice. All right? <clears throat> if you own a slice, you have to be nice. So the moment you admit that you even have the smallest part in the conflict, then you immediately lose your leverage in the conflict. All right? Because you still have responsibility as being part of the reason why the conflict exists. All right? If you own a slice, you have to be nice. The moment you take part in the slice, it takes all the tension out of the room, right? And then that's where we see, and even James kind of follows this up. When we look at James chapter 4 and move on to verses 2 and 3, it says, You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. All right? So this is the, the, you know, remember, why do conflicts and quarrel exist among us? Because of selfish desires that wage war within us. You want something, but you don't get it. So you kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. And you do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask him, you do not receive because you ask for the wrong motives, that you may spend it upon yourself, or that you may have it for the wrong reason, right? So, um, here's the thing, inside this relationship, and as, as believers, we both claim to know Jesus, but instead of going to Jesus for what you want, we continue to war against your spouse, or other people, or the people in this relationship. So, Instead of going to God about this, this desire that we have and these things that we want, instead of going to God, we, we continue to fight for them here on earth. It's just, um, it, it's easier to pray for these things with people these, we see than it is to go to God and pray for some, go, go to God who we cannot see and pray for something than have to wait for him to give it to us. We'd rather fight for it here on earth. How can I get my way? How can I get what I want? And, um, <clears throat> and, and so those prayers, okay? So, you know, getting back around to this, when you go to God and you begin to pray to him about these needs that you have in your life, okay? Guess who needs to be the focus of these prayers? <clears throat> you need to be the focus of the prayer, right? Because here's what I know will happen. You'll be like, Lord, I just pray you just touch my husband right now. <clears throat> Give him mm, Jesus. He needs some help. 
he needs to remember what I tell him to do. Um, the, The temptation is to go to God and begin to pray for other people and not pray for ourselves. How many of you know that, listen, sometimes we need to pray for ourselves, right? So, for example, like um, David said, search me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me, okay? It's one of the things that we can go to God and say, God, I want you to search me, search my heart, test me, and try me, and know me, look within me, look within my life, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Shine your light upon any darkness that exists inside of my heart so that I can walk in pure light before you, all right? There's nothing wrong with going. You know, I used to hear people say that it was, um, it was sinful to pray selfish, I mean, uh, to pray about yourself in prayer all the time. Well, it depends on how you're praying. You know, if you're like, you know, Lord, just uh, give me a three-story house, you know, and a really nice job so I can make lots of money and I can have a Lamborghini, and, uh, you know, just... You go on and on, right? But if you're praying, you know, supplication prayers like, God, just look within me. God, I want to be, I want to be a vessel. I want to be a vessel that honors you. I want to be, you know, and, you know, help me to walk in your ways. All of these things are things that we see throughout Scripture that are great prayers. You know, even in Ephesians, it gives us several prayers where the Bible says that we can pray, God, that you would enlighten my spirit to know a a greater knowledge of your truth and and awareness of who you are and your grace and your mercy and and your plans for me and my life. All right, all of those kinds. So when we go and pray to God, our prayers don't need to be other people focused. I mean, you can pray for that other person, right? Certainly, you want to pray for your kids. You want to pray for your spouse. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, if you're, you're praying like somehow that they can be fixed in the likeness of what you would like them to be, then understand that your prayers are, are wrong, okay? Because you need to be praying that God's will would be done in their life, okay? So that your children would, would chase after God in the way and the manner that God created them to, to be. So it would be wrong of me as a pastor to, to pray and say, God, I just pray that you would call my children into full-time ministry, Right? That's, that's me trying to project something upon them when that may not be God's destiny for them, all right? So while, is, is it a blessing to serve the Lord in full-time? Yeah, it's a blessing to serve the Lord in full-time ministry. But you better be called to it, you know? Uh, you better be called to it because I, I think statistics are that um, 90% of the people that start out in full-time ministry quit before they retire, all right? It's, it's some astronomical number. That's, so it's not... Um, what is the, uh, you know, as a pastor, you constantly have to fight the perception that as a pastor, you sit around and do nothing all day. What are you, what are you doing, praying and reading the Bible? I mean, it can't be that hard to be a pastor, you know. Uh, this is the perception, like, what can a pastor really be doing? All right, until you actually become a pastor and you have to see all the things that have to go on behind the scenes and the things that have to be done. And then you realize, like, you know what? I think I don't want anything to do with that anymore. <laughs> I think I want to move on. And I've heard that testimony from, you know, many dozens of people throughout even just my short tenure in ministry. All right? But you don't ever want to project those, you know, we, so when we pray for our spouse, we pray for our kids, we pray the will of God upon their life. So, so we pray, I pray, for example, I pray that my kids would encounter God 
in a significant way, that God would show himself to them, that they would have encounters with him that are not something that I'm trying to force a religion, but that it can be something that they own in their own life. It's something that they, they take ownership of, and it's not something that's shoved down their throats. And I pray that God would guide them in the decisions and the career path and everything that they want to do, that he would guide every step and every decision. And even with, uh, with, with Crystal, I, I pray blessing and favor that God would open doors for her to you know, increase her area of influence and, and ministry and, and, and to bring favor in her life where, even where she works, all these kinds of things. So I, I'm not praying trying to shape them into what I think they should be, okay? I, I pray God's will upon their life, and then I pray in my own life, like, I want to be shaped into what God thinks I should be, all right? And so my prayers can be focused on, on me so that I can be the best version of me that I could possibly be, so that I can live the way that God wants me to live, regardless of what everybody else around me does, so that I can be the person that honors the Lord with my life and everything I do. And if everybody else around me kind of falls away from that, well, so be it. Okay? I'm still going to do what God wants me to do in my life, and that's the thing that I have to focus on the most. All right? And let everything else worry, uh, fix itself in the end. All right? And so... Um, <clears throat> In reality, what we need sometimes is, you know, when, when we're dealing with conflict and we're dealing with issues inside relationships and the family unit, right, what we need is a word from the Holy Spirit for the moment that we are in. We need Holy Spirit to, get, to give us a word. And, you know, I even talk about this, you know, we're actually going to be starting next month diving into the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's part, the Holy Spirit's role in the church and the life of every believer. And uh, I think it's going to be really good. You know, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot of conversation that, has about, that, that, that the church has about the Holy Spirit, right? So we know he's a part of the Trinity, um, but, you know, we talk about Jesus. We know what Jesus did. We talk about the Father. We know who he is. Um, but who's this Holy Spirit? And um, you know, even like I mentioned, you know, several weeks ago, you know, the Holy Spirit oftentimes is viewed like as the, the crazy uncle in the family. <clears throat> you know, he's like, we're going to keep the Holy Spirit over there. All the church people are going to be over here. He's kind of the crazy guy. <clears throat> Don't want him. All right, so we're going to, and it's not just going to be about like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and some of those things. It's going to be about all different elements because there's the infilling um, uh, of his presence. There's the infilling of his power, lots of stuff. But when we're dealing with conflict in our life, we're supposed to have, um, we, one of the biggest things in our life is to get a word from God, to get a word from the Holy Spirit about the moment that we are in how we can handle that moment, how we can address that moment, how we can act. And, and listen, when you get a word from the Holy Spirit about what to do, it, it kind of removes that selfish ambition inside of you. Then it's because it's not, you know, it's not, you have to kill some of that pride, remove some of that selfishness, like, well, you know, it's just not right that this person's acting this way and they shouldn't be doing this and I ain't going to apologize because, <laughs> you know. And so what we, you know, so we're both being selfish when we act like that and, and, and there's kind of the stone walling that goes on, but if we will uh, allow ourselves the opportunity to be in the presence of God and God to speak to our spirit, then he could challenge us in our life and speak to us, and then it kind of removes away some of that selfishness that we, well, we, we deal with. And so um, we fix our conflict by letting God have a chance, all right? By letting God have a chance, all right? You ever heard somebody say, the Lord willing, or Rob, or whoever's I get some music. 
The Lord, the Lord will, you know, um, sometimes it's always kind of used in like a super spiritual manner, right? Well, you're going to be at church Sunday? Well, the Lord willing. <clears throat> what do you mean, the Lord willing? I don't even understand that. Hey, you want to come over and kick it? The Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, you know, and, and a lot of this kind of comes from like people have taken the, the um, there's a passage in James um, when he talks about um, making plans. So he talks about as people we make plans, but we don't even know if tomorrow is going to happen. And he even goes on saying that, uh, you know, if the Lord wills, you might be able to do this. And so then we take this whole thing like, well, the, the Lord wills. So um, what James is, is kind of saying here is that we are to consider the Lord when we are making our plans. So when we are making our plans in life about things that we're going to do, we should consider the Lord. We should consider God and, and his will. And, and so the, the thing that I, I want to point out to you is that th- this passage here, when we are dealing inside of a, a family unit, inside of a family relationship, whenever we are dealing with conflict inside the family, you know, we need to have the same mindset that we consider the Lord. So... What is the Lord's will in this moment right now? So in, in that moment of conflict, in that moment of difficulty, whether it's a, a, a husband uh, or a, 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 a wife or a, a mother or father or it's a, a son or daughter or a brother or sister or whatever it is, um, you know, do we take time to kind of step back and say, what, is, what does God think about what's going on right now? What does God think about this situation that I'm in, right? What does God think about the way that I'm acting? Okay? Yeah, they, they may be 100% wrong, but if you, owe, if you own a slice, you have to be nice, right? What does God think about the way I'm acting and the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm saying? And are, are my motives pure? Are my motives upright and, and honorable to God. And, and really, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. When, when we deal with conflict and issues, um, it's really important that in that moment, okay, that, that we can recognize the function of God and the Holy Spirit in our life should have an effect upon the way we move from there, the way we kind of move from where we are to where we need to be so that we can make sure things that are handled appropriately. And, and I know that in this moment, in this particular place, right here, right now, you know, it's hard to really, you know, um, it's hard to apply that when you get in the moment, right? So when you're in the moment and you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed and somebody's done something that, that you know, you've asked a thousand times for them not to do and they've done it again, okay, in that moment, okay, you're not thinking, wow, I wonder what the Holy Spirit wants me to do right now. Okay, you're like, Dad, gummit, I told you to pick up these socks off the floor. Right? And then, um, not that um, there's anything wrong with what, well, I guess that would probably, how, how <laughs> see here, that being, what I just said, being said to your kids may not be that big of a stretch, but if you say something like that to maybe your spouse or uh, somebody else, then then maybe you know, you're treating that spouse like a child or something like that, right? So, it, it, and so everything is, 
It depends on the circumstances. It depends on the moment that you're in. Your ability to really look introspectively at yourself, like how, how am I acting this moment? How am I being the right kind of person? Um, all, all families are going to have conflict. All relationships are going to have conflict. Um, I think even, I don't know, probably several years ago, I, I even did a, a sermon on, on marriages that all couples fight, but healthy couples fight fair. Right, all couples fight. Healthy couples fight fair. We kind of went over some of the things that you got to do to fight fair and stuff like that. But all relate in every relationship. There's going to be conflict. Um, that's not the issue. That, and that listen, that does not mean that the relationship is wrong. Listen, because you would never think like like. So when we get inside of a marriage relationship and we have conflict, we start thinking, well, like maybe we're not supposed to be together anymore. Maybe I picked the wrong person. Right. But like you have children, and when you have conflict with your children, you think maybe I, maybe I birthed the wrong kid, you know, or something. You know, that doesn't; <laughs> those thoughts never come across your mind because that's not that's, that's not even reality, right? right? So, it, it the problem is is because we are we are human, and and our human nature is to is to be selfish. There's going to be conflict when selfishness butts up against selfishness, all right, and. And, and that's what's going to happen. And so we have to recognize that before it, um, what you don't want it to do is you don't want that conflict and that quarrel to set in, um, you know, and create division, right? Because division is something that's, that is a, becomes kind of like um, fruit of, of conflict if you allow it. So if you allow the the seed of conflict to set root and to grow and it's going to produce fruit. It's going to produce the fruit of, of division and stonewalling and strife and ongoing residual conflict inside of the relationship, whether that's a marriage relationship or a or child relationship. Um, and so my word to you this morning is, you know, find a way to, to you know, to bring God in, in part, in, into the process. How can I God? How, how can I bring the Holy Spirit? How can I bring God into this process right now? How can I, how can I change the way I maybe react in a moment, so that uh, it can honor the Lord a little bit better than the way it has in the past? All right, we stand to your feet today.